we're actually looking at uh, this third week of focusing on the church. We're actually looking at God's sending of his church. Uh, I'll say this. I'll say more about this in a minute, but, but we consider this an essential mark of the church. God did not save us for us to sit here and establish our own kingdom on earth. God has sent us. God sends us to see his kingdom grow, uh, to see his message go forward, to see people's uh, souls saved, to see, um, well, as we'll call it today, uh, people reconciled to himself. So we're going to study in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. That'll be the focus of our study. Um, and, and we're going to walk, I'm going to read it, we'll walk through it. We're actually going to walk through it backwards. We're going to start at 21 or 20 and, and kind of work our way backward. But uh, you'll see why we're doing that in just a minute. But let me read it, we'll pray, and then we'll jump in. So the word says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we pers- persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast uh, about outward appearance and not what is in the heart. For we are beside ourselves, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, and if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, notice the the, the change of perspective. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for not allowing us to just go off and and experience nothing but alienation from you, nothing but distance from you, nothing but uh, separation from you. Thank you for sending your son to die on a cross in our place and for our sin. Thank you for making him sin so that we could be made righteousness. Thank you for not just stopping at justification. Thank you for not just making us righteous, but thank you for bringing us into relationship with you, that we might know peace with you. And thank you for involving us in the work that you're doing to reconcile sinners to yourself. Would you work through your word today in and among your people today that we might grow in our commitment, in our desire even, in our passion for what you are doing and what you intend to do through us, your people. I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. We believe 
We believe God sends his church as his ambassadors to tell the world that he is reconciling sinners to himself through Jesus Christ. That's long. Let me read it to you again. We believe God sends his church as his ambassadors to tell the world that he is reconciling sinners to himself through Jesus Christ. God intends, it is his plan that his people be a going people and a sending people. Think about this. Think think about this. Before Jesus ever called anyone to come and follow me, he had to approach them. He had to go to them. He had to be sent to them. God is a sending God. God is a going God. And he intends for his people, the church, to follow his example in this world. Here's here's the thing. In the American church, we are going people. (laughs) We are going all the time. We're We're always going somewhere. We're going to work, going home, going to the game, going to the uh, movies, going to the store, going on vacation, going, going, going. The question isn't, are we going? We're definitely doing that. The, The question is, what are we doing while we're going? What is it that our going is accomplishing? Who who are we serving in all this going? What what's the purpose of it? What's the fruit that comes from our going? See, Paul understood the importance of this. He understood the weight of this. That's why he draws the conclusion at the end of chapter 5 that he does. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. He He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we could be his righteousness. And he's given us this message of reconciliation. We are ambassadors. See, Paul understood the weight of it. He understood the importance of the going, of the the sending. We're no longer what we were. We, We aren't what we will be, but we're no longer what we were. We can't live the same way. We can't have the same purpose. We can't have the same priorities. We can't have the same same things that that matter most to us anymore because because we are new. We're a part of this new creation. It's not just an assumption that Paul's making. The the sentness of the church, the sentness of the church, it, it, it it was a perspective that was drilled home so clearly by Jesus that every gospel writer recorded a commissioning of the church. And Luke recorded it twice. You're familiar with the first one. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority, this is one of the last things he says to his people. What do you think he's thinking? Uh, If I could leave them with anything, this is the last thing I'm going to tell them. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This could as easily be translated, As you go therefore, make disciples. This isn't a call to go once a year to a place like Senegal or to a place like Peru. It's a daily call, a call to daily get up and live your life going to make disciples, prioritizing that in your life. Next, Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 16. And he said to them, 
Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. See, Mark makes sure that we know Jesus' command isn't limited to the places that are comfortable for us. Well, I, I, I like I like going to, uh, well, I, I, I said this actually uh, while we were in Peru. As I was talking to that couple, I said, you know, if I'd have met you seven years earlier, we'd be coming to Peru and not going to Africa because Africa is hard to go to and the scenery is not anywhere near the same. I mean, it is beautiful in Peru up in the Andes Mountains. Absolutely beautiful. And they looked at each other and said, what were you doing seven years ago? Well, I was still in high school. So I was like, well, that's why we're not going to Peru because I'm old. The thing is, is we have to go. The call is to go to the whole world, not just the places that are pretty, not just the places that are comfortable, not just the places that are temperate. Truth is, some of the hardest places to go is right next door, isn't it? Boy, it's really easy to preach the gospel when you don't have a relationship writing on that. But, but you see also in, in, in these verses that the, the importance of them hearing the message. If they believe and are baptized, they'll be saved. If they don't, they're condemned. Mark, Mark, Mark makes us see the importance of this. Next, in, in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 48, he said to them, this is Jesus, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed, should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. They had personal experience with it. They'd seen these things with their own eyes. They were to to go and proclaim this message so that others could hear it and begin proclaiming that message. John, in in his gospel, he actually, at a couple of different points, when Jesus is praying in John 17 and in John 20, 21, he writes this, Jesus said to them again, after his resurrection, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. There's no question. Jesus saw his people as a people who are sent. The sentness of the church is ingrained in the the salvation that God has given us. And finally, in Acts 1.8, Luke, for the second time, recording uh, this call, he writes about Jesus and the apostles, that moment where Jesus is about to ascend in front of the apostles. And they want to know, is now the time that you're going to establish the kingdom? Is now the time that you're going to make all things new? Is now the time that we're going to get to rule alongside you? Uh, He's like, no, 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 you've got this all mixed up. And now, times and seasons, that's not for you to worry about. Times and seasons, you, know, you, you making your charts and your, and, your, um, and, and, your, and your big pictures that you put out so that everybody can see the timelines and all that stuff. He said, that's not yours. But, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
Uh, yours isn't the, uh, your, your job is not to figure out when Jesus is coming back. Your job is to go tell people about Jesus' death and resurrection so that when he comes back, his people are ready. Oh, man, we get this so mixed up. Sit around and talk about eschatology, and we will talk about eschatology next week. Don't misunderstand but we get so wrapped around the stick about eschatology and times and dates and whether it happens, uh, if, 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 uh, if there's going to be a rapture or if there's going to be um, tribulation before his reign or after, or, or if we're in it now, or is there going to be a millennium on earth or is the millennium figurative? Oh man, we sit and get all wrapped around a stick and argue and, and fight and divide over this. And we're missing the point. You will be my witnesses. That's it. We don't need to know when Jesus is coming back because if we've already trusted in him, we're already ready for him to return at any moment. But is our neighbor, are our families. So the whole book of Acts unfolds following this order, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and finally to the ends of the earth, at least as they knew it to be then. Praise God, the gospel didn't stop spreading when it reached Rome or, or Spain. And we, we don't know if Paul actually made it to Spain. That was his intent. Praise God, it didn't stop spreading in Europe. Because where would we be? You see, we're the beneficiaries of a church that's been sent. And, and now, we have the opportunity that they had as well, to be God's sent people. So our, our statement of faith, in fact, d- d- calls this out as part of our perspective of the church. We, this is so radically ingrained in the, in the perspective of what God is doing in and among his people. We have written into our statement of faith, not, that, not just the, the, the distinctives that we would say, oh, we discuss and debate these, but they're... They're, they're, they're not necessarily, we, we don't all have to agree to them as members, but this, this is so central to what God was doing in the church that we put it as part of our statement of faith, suggesting, and four, four points for the church, actually. One is that we're God's regenerate people. And Dave covered this the first week. There's a universal local church, but the church is God's regenerate people. It's his saved people. It's what makes us distinct from Presbyterians who baptize infants. It makes us different than those who practice infant baptism because we see God's regenerate people as his church. Next, it's the sending, or not the sending, the serving, I'm sorry, the, the, the serving. And we talked about that last week as we talked about the, the, the gifts that he's given us. He's given us gifts, spiritual gifts intended to be used with and among his people to serve his people. They would be blessed and benefited. And then finally, the the next point, the final point that we would say is essential to the life of the church is that we're a sent people. We are a people who have been regenerated, who have been given gifts to serve one another, and who have been sent into the world to be light in the darkness, to be sent into the world to bring the message of salvation to the world in which we live. That's the idea. We believe God sends his church as his ambassadors to tell the world that he's reconciling sinners to himself through Jesus Christ. This is an essential belief for us. Not an essential belief for salvation. I think you can be, sa- be saved and not, be, uh, not, not agree with us on this perspective. I think that, that you can be uh, a believer and, and be saved by God's grace and, and just not understand this and be 
misinformed about it or, or even have a different set of beliefs. But this is essential as a member of this church. This is what every one of us as members of this church agree to. In fact, it's not just written in our statement of faith. It's written into our covenant that every member of our church has signed and agreed that they will live in accordance with. Because we see it as so central to what God is doing in the world. See, God God didn't save you so that you could be comfortable now. God didn't save you just to give you benefits that, that, that make your life easier now. God, in fact, doesn't even promise you an easy day on earth, even as a Christian. In fact, over and over, we're told that we can expect tribulation. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, in this life, this is a promise, in this life, you will face troubles. You will have tribulation. It's a promise from your Savior. But take heart. I have overcome. See, that's the hope. We're, we're, we're living with a perspective that's radically different. We're, we're living for a purpose that's, that's no longer about establishing our own kingdom and growing our own kingdom on this earth. We are a people who believe that God has sent his church as his representatives to tell the world that he is reconciling sinners to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. God's people are God's ambassadors. Paul's point exactly in verses 18 through 21. God's people are God's ambassadors. Look at that passage. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Why are we ambassadors for Christ? Because God is an enlisting God. He is a saving God who enlists people to do his work. This is from God. Paul isn't claiming to be more than he is. Paul isn't trying to set himself on some pedestal. He's not trying to be the king. He's simply a representative of the king. As one commentary phrased it, it says this, He is Christ's spokesman. He does not act on his own authority, but under the commission of a greater power and authority who sent him. Paul, therefore, understands himself to be divinely authorized to announce to the world God's terms for peace. This is from God. He is the initiator. He is the one who sets it in motion. He is the source of it. He is the one who starts it and sustains it. God is the initiator of this reconciling work. He's the missionary heart that initiated the work so that the mission would begin and that the mission could be accomplished. God isn't waiting on sinful man to figure out how we reconcile to him. In fact, it's never happened in all the world. In all the time that man has existed, in all the ways that we've sought to reconcile ourselves to God, it has never been able to happen. We've never been able to attain this feat. All the things that we can figure out how to do, we can't do this. But God, God has. And he has set the terms. He has determined the way. He is the one who has decided, 
I'm going to reconcile with them. I am going to bring them back into relationship with me. Here is the way. There's no negotiating. It's his way or the highway. That's just the way it is. He is sovereign God. And you and I are not. He is creator God. And we are creation. Always subject to him. Always under his authority. Always answering to him. It's his way. There is no other way. In in being reconciled to God. The the beauty of this. I prayed this just a minute ago. in, In being reconciled to God. It's not just, oh, now you're righteous. Now he's not counting your sins against you anymore. The whole tone of this passage, the whole language that that Paul is using here is not just simply that in a courtroom he is no longer, the the gavel, the judge is pounding the gavel and he's saying innocent. That's true. But more than that, the judge walks out of the the courtroom and he gives you a hug and now he's your family. He's your part of his, you're, you're in relationship with him. You have peace with him. He's no longer against you. He's for you. Your judge has become your closest compatriot. He's reconciled you unto himself. He's given you relationship that we didn't have. He's given you nearness that we were far. He's given you uh, citizenship while we were aliens. He's given us, he's made us members of his household. Even though we sought to live apart from him. But God has reconciled this relationship. He's the one who's done this work. He is the one who does it. And those that have been reconciled, they're called into his mission. They're called to, be, to this missionary work, to this ministry of reconciliation. Listen to this. God makes his appeal through us. Therefore, we are his ambassadors. Verse 20, we are his ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. Think about this. You. Saved by God and not taken immediately. He could. He could remove you right now. He's left you here for a reason. And one of those reasons we clearly see is sanctification. He intends to sanctify us, to make us holy. Because he is holy. But another, another piece of that over and over we see is that he intends for his people to get up and tell people what he has done. To be witnesses of his work in our life. And this isn't just Paul. This isn't a reference to just Paul. This isn't just a reference to Paul and the rest of the apostles. This is all of us. The church is called to this ambassadorial task. We preach it and we implore with those around us to be reconciled to God. Just a couple of things, just real quickly before we move on from this point. We're not, we're not sent out to win a battle. All right? We don't run off into this as if we're trying to beat somebody into submission. One of the craziest things I heard, I, I didn't, I've known this about church history, but I didn't realize it everywhere. Uh, I was in, in Peru talking to one of the missionaries that's there, a uh, different missionary than Ethan and Rachel, and he's talking about the history of how things went in Peru. And <clears throat> he points out that when the Catholics came into Peru, they went to the Incans who were by their standards pagan and they recognized that they had a divine right to force them into the worship of Jesus Christ. So by force, the same way Islam has spread, that by force they forced these people to give up their gods and worship theirs, which didn't work. And what they have now is a, a mix of animism and Catholicism. 
The reality is, is that that's what they sought to do. We're not out to win a battle. We're, we're, we're sent to proclaim a message. We're sent to tell people about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, to bear witness to it. It's on them to respond. It, it, it's, it, it's not failure if they don't respond. It's victory if you do the work of seeking to see people reconciled. And, and, and another thing, just before we move on from this, you might recognize that Paul is writing this to Christian people. The, the, the language, though, is obviously evangelistic. Some people have said, oh, it's the Corinthian church. They're a messed up group of folks. And that's why he's being evangelistic with them. That's possible. But, but I think in, in the very next passage, in chapter 6, verse 1, we can see why Paul's doing this. He, he says, for our sake, he made him to be, no, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him. So in some way, recognizing we are co-workers with God, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He continues to speak to this church who has had their struggles, who have had their problems, who seem to have all kinds of different priorities, and have wrestled with being reconciled together. And he's saying, look, I am speaking to you this way. I am evangelizing you because I want to make sure that you have not received God's grace in vain. The, the thing is, I think the point of application out of this is that we don't ever stop this. We don't ever stop preaching the gospel to one another. We don't ever quit asking one another to, to, to hear that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. We never quit the work of the reconciling ministry. But where we see division, we preach gospel. Where we see separation from God, we preach gospel. Where we see division between brothers and sisters in Christ, we preach gospel. Starting even in our own home, we preach gospel. In, in our equip classes uh, that we're going through, uh, I'm, I'm leading a class called Parent. It's, it's a book called Parenting written by Paul Tripp. And his whole premise of being a parent is that you don't own your kids. They're not yours. Simply you are an ambassador to your children an ambassador, a representative of God to your children. He calls it out this way. He highlights this importance. He's parenting. is about being God's ambassadors in the lives of our children. It's about faithfully representing his message, his methods, and his character to our children. The truth is, this is true of every aspect of ambassadoring for God. We represent his message using his methods and living out in his character. That people will see it so that our words and our deeds line up and so that people will see it they'll hear the message and they'll believe the message and they'll turn and they'll be reconciled to God that's the idea God's people are God's ambassadors you don't need a title you don't need credentials the, the one qualification is this you have been made righteous and you have been reconciled therefore you are an ambassador of God. He who knew no sin became sin so that you could be the righteousness of God, so that you could live out this ambassadorial ministry. God's ambassadors are, or God's people are God's ambassadors. God's ambassadors are new creations. He has made you new. Think about why he did this. Think about the importance of him doing this, I guess. Uh, what would we be an ambassador of? What would we be a representative of if it weren't for God reconciling himself, reconciling us to himself? 
Not, not him. What, what is it that the world is going to do today? Man, they're going all over the place. We're the most mobile generation ever. We, we, we can go across the world. I, I, literally, we can, in 24 hours, I can make it to Africa. In 9, 10 hours, we can make it to South America on the bottom side of the equator, right? Like, we, we can go. We're, we're a going people. Always on the go. The world is all about building their own kingdoms. The world is about representing their own interests. The world is about doing what makes them feel good and, and, and seeking to find that comfort, that approval, that, 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 that control, that sense of power that gives them an idea that they are secure. Paul says God's made us new. And that changes everything. Look at it, verse 17. We'll walk backwards through this. Verse 17, he, he says that... Uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We aren't what we were. We aren't all we're going to be, but we aren't what we were. We're radically different people. We're part of God's new creation. We're, 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 we're a, 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 in, in the present time, we are a present reality that Jesus Christ one day will make all things new. You are new. What you were is gone. What you are is new in Christ. Verse 16, step up one more verse. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Why are we not regarding anyone according to the flesh? Because we aren't what we used to be. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Because we're, we're new. It, it, it's because of this newness. We, we can't see things. We have a whole new perspective. You know, we struggle with that. We, we, we look at people and we look at the surface and we don't look to the heart. We look at what they do on the surface and we determine who they are or whether we like them or whether they need Jesus or not or whether they would even answer the call if we presented it. Have you ever done that? Have you ever walked up to someone and, and, and began a conversation like, oh man, this person wants nothing to do with Jesus? Simply because of the way they act? Did you want anything to do with Jesus before you knew Jesus? Let me, let me tell you from somebody who came, came to Christ as, a, as an adult, who still remembers. I didn't. No one does. Romans 1 or Romans 3, no one seeks God. If there's any indication that someone is seeking God, then you need to be making sure that they hear the gospel. But even when there's not an indication of them seeking God, what would entice them to God but the gospel? We do it. Paul says not anymore. We're new creations. We've, we've been changed. Verse 15, we no longer live our lives for ourselves. That's the last half of verse 15. We live for the one who died for our sake, who was raised for us. This new identity, having been recreated, it changes everything about our life. It changes the priorities. It changes the purposes. It changes the practices, the methodologies that we, that, that we live out. It changes everything about our life. It changes it certainly for the future, like eternity. I'm not going to hell anymore. I'm headed to heaven. Thank you, God. But it changes everything about right now. It changes everything about my relationship with the Lord. It changes everything about your relationship with the Lord. He is no longer your enemy. He is your father. He is working on your behalf in Christ. He has given you everything you need for life and godliness. He has blessed you with every spiritual 
blessing in the heavenly realms, Paul tells us in Ephesians. The, the, the beauty of what God has done for us. He is working for us. His wrath is nothing we'll ever worry about again. Not even right now. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Every difficulty you face, every struggle of your life, every hardship is used to discipline you and strengthen you in your faith. It's not his wrath that he's putting against you, but this is the promise for those who are in Christ. This is what he's done as he's reconciled. He's changed everything about our relationship with him. He's changed everything about the purpose for which we live. He he doesn't just save us and reconcile us to himself and and let us enjoy him and his grace. He sends us as his ambassadors to make the truth about Jesus known. So, so, So as we step out into the world, it's no longer just go to work and, and earn a paycheck. Although we have to go to work and earn a paycheck. That's how things work here, right? We got to eat. It's good to eat food. It's good to make sure that your family can eat food. But God says, I'm going to take care of that. Your purpose for going into the work, work world, the workforce, is to be an ambassador primarily. The paycheck is just something nice that he gives you as you do that. Every one of you are vocational ministers, believe it or not. Oh, come on. No, it's not. I'm telling you. Over and over and over, the scriptures affirm this. Our, our, sentness, our, our sentness is directly related to this new identity. That's why Paul writes it the way that he does. He, he comes to the conclusion after building out all the evidence for it. He's shown us that that all of this new life results in this new reality. We are ambassadors for Christ. So our sentence is directly related. It is woven together. It is intrinsically connected. It is inseparable from being this new creation. And I've shown you this in the scripture. I would would say it over and over, but, but, but let me just lean on someone in church history that it says things better than I do. His name is Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. He, he has this famous quote, probably you've heard of it. Every Christian here, speaking to his church, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. And since I just read it to you, I guess he's speaking to our church as well. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. That's pretty heavy words. The Bible has no framework for a Christian that's not a participant in God's mission. There are no, we've made up these terms. We've taken these terms outside of the Bible. We've made up these terms, missionary. And I've been in debates recently with people who say, oh, missionaries, they're the people who go overseas. They're the people who get up and go someplace. I'm just a, I'm just a Christian who's been sent to, to be a witness. Okay, if you want to be specific about your language that way, but that's okay. I would suggest every one of us have been given a part of the mission to accomplish. I don't want to deny that there's a special call for people to get up and go into a world with this apostolic gifting and bring the church and bring the message to a place where the gospel isn't currently being preached. But they're no more a missionary than you are. They're no more a missionary than I am. We have all been given a mission to do. We are all ambassadors of God. Every one of us have vocational ministry to do, but it doesn't stop at where we go to work. It happens in our homes. Happens with our neighbors, our neighborhoods. 
The Bible has no framework of, of, of a way for us to disconnect this from our life. That, oh, once a year I go on mission. No, repeatedly the Bible calls us live the mission. Period. As you go, make disciples, go into the whole world because those who believe will be saved. You're witnesses of the work that God has done. You get to preach this message from a very personal perspective. He has worked in your life. He has made you new. No one else in the world can tell this story but other Christians. That's it. His son took our sins so that we could be made righteous in him, so that we could be the righteousness of Christ. We speak as a people who were dead and now alive. We speak as a people who were darkness and now are light. We speak as a people who were sin, but now are righteous. We speak as a people who were alienated, but who are now reconciled. Who else can tell that message? Who else can spread that word? No one. But God has determined that he's going to do it through his church. God's people are God's ambassadors. God's ambassadors are new creations, giving us this new mission. God's ambassadors are guided by the fear of God and the love of Christ. In the very opening of this section that we read, Paul highlights his motives. In verses 11 through 14, he highlights, kind of bookends it actually, with both the fear of God and the love of Christ. And then he gives this explanation in the middle. Hey, we're not here to commend ourselves to you again. We're not trying to impress anybody out there, but we're, let, let our ministry speak for itself. Let people see what's going on, and, and, and you'll be able to t- tell them we're not out of our mind. That, that, but he's not in fear of man. He recognizes that he is accountable to God. He fears God more than he fears man. Now, I know what this feels like. I face it. I'm sure you face it. I feel the fear of man every time I go to share the gospel. Every time. I feel, the fe- I feel the fear of man every time I stand in this pulpit. Because I know, as it goes, that even in a room this size, there are people who disagree with me, who sit here and tolerate it for some other purpose in the church. Well, I like my friends here, or um, I don't know, I like the music, whatever, whatever it is. They tolerate me because there's something else they value more. And I want to soften my message. I want to be less, less pushy. I want, to, I want to press a little less. I feel that fear every time I stand to preach the gospel, whether individually or to this church. But I also recognize I'm not accountable to you. I'm accountable to God the Father. And I must say true things. I'll seek to say them in a gracious way. But I know you feel that fear. I know you feel that fear. I I know you wrestle with that fear. Recognize God is who you're accountable to. Recognize God is God. The the, the people that we're afraid of losing relationship with, I I recognize how how real that is, how how strong that sense and that desire is. But, But better to be reconciled to God, better to be reconciled to God and have relationship with Him and His people than to be reconciled to a world that's doomed and off headed off to destruction. Which is preferable to you? Which is better? I ask you, fear God, not man. 
The next thing he highlights in verse 14 that he kind of bookends these motives is, is, is first the fear of God. The reason he doesn't quake in the fear of God, no, the reason he's not shaking, hiding under a rock, trying to, trying to keep God from seeing him is because the love of Christ. He, he actually says the love of Christ controls us. In some tra- translations it says the love of Christ compels us and some it says the love of Christ constrains us. The idea is, is that the love of Christ keeps this from being a choice, it becomes the very thing that we have to do when we recognize how much we've been loved. Our perfect God, who had no, 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 no reason to suffer, who, who, who had never done anything to deserve suffering or hurt or pain, entered into our suffering, entered into our circumstance, took on our suffering. He suffered in your place. He suffered on your behalf. God the Father watched God the Son die. I've never lost a child. Talk to a parent who has. They say it's one of the greatest pains you can endure. He watched his son die. Jesus Christ who put on flesh, humbled himself, put on flesh. He came to serve. He's the king. He's to be exalted. He's to be seen as as high and lifted up, and yet he's humbling himself. He's he's coming and he's serving, and and he humbles himself to the point that he allows himself to be crucified. They drove those nails through his hands, and they drove those nails through his feet. Again, that's never happened to me. But that doesn't sound pleasant. It sounds horrific. And they stood that cross up and they hung him there between criminals. Our perfect Savior, our loving, gracious God in flesh hung there. And in his suffering, it wasn't like every other person who's crucified has been suffered. No, no, no. Paul tells us in this passage, God made him sin. He never committed a sin. He never lied. There's nothing dark or wicked about him in any way. And yet suddenly he felt God's wrath. And in the garden he prayed and he knew that he was going to have to drink that whole cup. He couldn't, he couldn't just get partway through and hop down and say, oh, that's enough. No, he's going to have to die. And he did. And in his death, Paul tells us that he who knew no sin became sin. Why did he do such a thing? Why would he even consider such a thing? Because he loves you, his people, so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. In this we know love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is love, John says, 1 John three sixteen. This is love, that Christ laid down his life for us. You see, I can get up here and preach every week. Oh, go, go, go. And I can beat on you with rules. Go, go, go. 
Brothers and sisters, the reason we don't quake in front of this fearsome God is because His love in Christ has saved you and has promised you eternity. It's made you new. You are not what you were and you are not yet what you will be, but He has loved you. And there is nothing that can change that. There is nothing that can separate you from it. That is compelling truth. That makes the difference in life. Going is not a choice because I am controlled. I am compelled. I am constrained. I have no other choice but to go and speak of this God who has loved his people so. You want to know why I want our church to go to Africa? You want to know why I want us praying for people in in, in Peru and in Japan and, and helping Lydia go into Croatia? You want to know because I want them to know the love of Christ. So that when they face him, they don't have to quake in fear. But they can stand in awe of this fearsome God who loved them. And saved them. And gave them life. There is no other pursuit that measures up to this. Oh, we can build our kingdom. We can buy our houses and make ourselves really comfortable. We can fill our bank accounts. We can get the right set of cars. We can go to the store, go to the entertainment place, go to, go to all these places we go. And we can serve ourselves in it the whole time. But there is no joy in going for yourself. None whatsoever. I shared with you the quote that Spurgeon wrote a minute ago. I want to I just close out with, I want you to hear the whole thing that he says. It's, it's, it's convicting and powerful all at the same time. It really hits to this point. What's controlling you? What, what is it that, that you love and that you recognize the love of? And what is it you fear? He, he, he says in his sermon, he who really has this high esteem of Jesus will think much of him. And as the thoughts are sure to run over at, at the mouth, he will talk much of him. It's connected. My high esteem of Jesus, I can't help but talk about him. Do we talk so? On average, we... Oh, they say on average women say 20,000 words. On average men say 7,000 words a day. What's the topic of your conversation? If Jesus is precious, he goes on. If Jesus is precious to you, will not, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it into your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend without the charms of eloquence. You will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Recollect that you are either trying to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. You're either trying to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there's a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Of course, I do not mean by that that those who use the pen for Christ are silent. They are not. And those who help others to use the tongue or spread that which others have written are doing their part well. But I mean this. That man who says, I believe in Jesus, but does not think enough of Jesus ever to tell another about him by mouth or pen or tract is an imposter. 
we believe that God has sent his church as his ambassadors into the world to tell them about this ministry of reconciliation through his son, Jesus Christ. God's people are God's ambassadors. God's ambassadors are new creations. That's why we can speak so passionately about it. God's ambassadors are motivated by a fear of God and love of Christ. But the question we need to answer is, is not, have we been sent? That is clear. Yes, we have. The question is not, are we going? Absolutely we are. But what are we accomplishing in our going? Are are we living our worship daily? Are we using the, the time the finances, the, the, the skills, the words that we have to worship God every day? Are, are we using them to serve God's people faithfully in the church with our gifts that, that together we can stand as his ambassadors? Are we going? Are we a going church and a sending church? We'll only be a going church and ascending church, and I think we are in large part. Please don't hear me complain. There's so many good things we can talk about that God has done through this body of believers. But where can we grow in that? I implore you to be reconciled to Christ. I implore with you to be reconciled with Christ. In your reconciliation, I, I, I am confident that we will grow in our going and our sending. Let's pray.